0: This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online, mslandbank.com. Whether it's farmland, hunting land, or building that dream home, check out Mississippi Land Bank in North Mississippi and online, mslandbank.com. And by Jubilations Cheesecake in West Point. Stop by the coffee house right on Highway 45 on your way to the game, and you can watch cheesecakes being made. And consider Jubilations for your next fundraiser as well. All right, it's that time—Super Regional Weekend. I'm Matt Brett Hudson. Brett, do you have an umbrella? I'm just asking. <laughs> I, I probably should. Um, I, I'm in my home office right now.
1: I'd have to go out in the living room to see if I have it or if my wife has it. But I'm uh, I'm gonna have it by by the time Saturday morning comes around. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we may need it. Um, Stanford coming to town. Hey, I, um just I'll get you started on Stanford just because I, I had this on the top of my mind uh, the other day. I was <clears throat> excuse me, I was googling some Stanford baseball stuff after they had won their regional and against Fresno which went to the full whatever how many games it was they played. Game 7, yeah. Game 7. And so I started googling some stuff because I was Recording my radio show from a hotel room. I needed some info, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was going to read about their coaches. Did you know that on the Stanford website, which is gostanford.com, head coach David Esquire, which is. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. He's not listed as the head coach. No, he's not. He is listed on their website as. The Clark and Elizabeth Nelson director of baseball. <laughs> yeah,
1: so um, so that's a very Stanford thing. And, and I know that because if you look at their football coaching staff, yeah, David Shaw is not the head football coach at Stanford. He is the Bradford M. Freeman director of football. <laughs> Lance Anderson, the defensive coordinator, is not the defensive coordinator. He is the Willie Shaw director of defense, and both of these are going to be absolutely hilarious. <laughs> their offensive coordinator and their QBs coach, Tavita Pritchard. He is the uh, you're going to love this the Andrew Luck director of offense, <laughs> and the Kevin <laughs> M. Hogan quarterbacks coach. Oh yes. <laughs> They've also got a Couch family defensive backs coach. Wow. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna look at some of their other big sports and see that if great. Uh, and see if this is a case. Like, let's see if their basketball coach has some sponsor title. Yes, they do. Jared yeah. Haas is the Ann and Joseph Director of Men's Basketball.
0: <laughs> look, man, uh, wow. the
1: James C. Gaither Associate Head Coach of Men's Basketball. I could probably do this for all of their sports, but I think I think you get the point.
0: Stanford, man, it's it's a weird setup there, isn't it? It is. And Brett, here's the thing about it. Like, how much of an afterthought do you have to be as an assistant coach at Stanford if you don't have a sponsor? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> okay, that's one thing. But the other thing about it is like how much are those people paying to have their names attached to that? Because look at it this way. If if David Esquire gets fired as the baseball coach, every article written from local paper to the USA today will say baseball coach David Esquire let go at Stanford. It ain't going to say Stanford has fired their Clark and Elizabeth Nelson director of baseball. Like it's you. you know so what's the point of paying for that's that? That's what I don't get. <laughs> I don't get it either.
1: I don't I don't understand it. Like no one no one referred – what was that name I, I said for David Shaw earlier? Uh, um, I'm going to pull it up again because I, I started looking at other sports just to make sure. No one no one refers to David Shaw as the Bradford M. Freeman Director
0: of Football at nobody. Stanford. No one
1: does that. No one has ever done that. No one ever will
0: do that. He is the head coach. Right. It's not like anybody's going to see it. And, you know, if you go to his office, maybe it says it on the office door. But I don't get the point of paying for that. It's different than like, you know – you you've paid for the, I don't know the Mize Pavilion at Mississippi State. Well, right. Frankly, that gets a little play. You know, these are just weird to me. I when I saw that I was, it was one of those <laughs> blah, 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 what moments. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not the baseball coach, director of baseball. But anyway, the Clark and Elizabeth Nelson Director of Baseball st- uh, at Stanford, David Esquire, has that team. Coming to Starkville this weekend, and they're they're a really good baseball team.
1: They are, they are, yeah. So let's uh, let's get into some names that actually matter, shall okay. we? Yep. Uh, Kyle Stowers is a is a really good leadoff man. He was taken seventy first overall uh, by the Orioles in in the draft, and we'll get to the the draft later. He's got nineteen doubles, but my my man Will Matheson has been raking for Stanford uh, this year. He leads the team with a three twenty two batting average and ties for the team lead with a three ninety nine on base percentage he's got 12 doubles he's one of just three on the team with double digit homers he's got 12. Andrew Dashbach is hitting 300 and has 19 homers so watch out for that bat but and and this is this is I said Will Matheson was my man my Mm. actual man those of you who follow me on Twitter know when I was watching that game on Monday Maverick Handley what a great baseball name (laughs) Maverick Handley He's hot right now. He's got five homers all year, but two of them came in that Monday game that that won the regional. So there's some there's some serious firepower in this lineup. Did you get a chance to watch any of that Monday yeah. game, or were you traveling?
0: No, I did get a chance to watch it that night because it was on so late. It started at it like, like 9 o'clock or whatever West it was. West Coast
1: baseball, baby.
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. Like, yeah, that's right. West Coast, it was a 10 p.m. start, so Pacific. So that made it what, 8 p.m. Central?
1: I think it was nine o'clock here, so seven o'clock local.
0: Okay. In, okay. In Stanford. So seven o'clock and there, nine here. That's Alto what Alto it Alto. was. That's what it was. It was 10 Eastern because I was in an Eastern time zone. So it oh, didn't okay. actually start yeah, until 10 Eastern. It was, it was Eastern.
1: nine Central, seven local in Palo Alto.
0: Makes sense. So anyway, I did watch it. I was in the hotel room and um, I didn't watch all of it. I couldn't hang in there for all, but it was, I saw it through. Stanford taking the 9-7 to lead, which is what it wound up finishing. And it was back and forth, a really entertaining game. It and, was. And it was like a they had, like, what, a six-run fifth or sixth inning in there somewhere where Fresno brought in this big right-handed reliever, and they just yeah. started tattooing it. And it looked like it was pretty obvious, even watching it on TV, this is a good reliever, a guy who led Fresno in ERA, I believe, but he goes in there, and the ball was just flat, like his fastball had no movement. Therefore, Stanford just started tattooing the baseball, swing after swing, and had this big inning. And, um, and so, yeah, Hanley, the two home runs. They look to me also like a team that has – it's weird to say this after just watching a TV game, but they just look like a team that has that really great chemistry um the way they interact with each other in the dugout after at bats before at bats in the field you know there's there's just no question they're a tight bunch and their record back set up they are
1: they are and, and and that lineup shows it they they pass the bat back pretty pretty well hmm. in in that lineup so i I've, i think the pitching aspect of stanford is is more interesting than the than the hitting, and I'll okay. get to that. But I do want to give some some quick news. We're recording this Thursday morning. It's eight eighteen a.m. And all of the all session reserved chairback seats and the rooftop club passes just sold out mm. for the Starfield Super Regional. So now all that's left are general admission and standing room only. Um. So okay. good luck to good luck to fans trying to get a trying to get a spot in Duty Noble Field this weekend. Good right. luck with that. Right. Um. Now let's get to the pitching. Uh, The rotation of Brendan Beck, Will Matheson. Yes, the same Will Matheson that's leading the team in batting average. And Eric Miller, who was drafted in the fourth round by the Phillies. That's their starting rotation. Brendan Beck, Will Matheson, Eric Miller. But there is a complication here. Brendan Beck threw twice Mm -hmm. in the regional. Beck took his usual Friday start. He went seven scoreless with three hits allowed against Sacramento State through 101 pitches. But then he took three and a third perfect in relief and threw 36 pitches in the Monday game that won the regional. It's his only relief outing of the season. And that'll be a question for Stanford coach, David Esker, when he gets to Starkville and meets with the media on Friday, I imagine this being a Saturday, Sunday, Monday super, and one that's likely to be impacted by weather helps give Beck enough time to make a start. Here in Starkville, even if it's not the Saturday game one start, Hmm. but in some unforeseen circumstance where he doesn't go, Stanford does have a strong fourth starter in Alex Williams. He threw a complete game in the regional. The bullpen is fine. Uh, Jack Little is the closer. He got taken in the fifth round by the Dodgers. 12 saves, two of them in the regional. He pitched uh, four innings, two hits allowed, struck out eight with no walks. And both outings came against Fresno State. So Jack Little had an awesome regional, but it's certainly not as deep a bullpen as Mississippi State's mm-hmm. bullpen, which is probably an unfair standard for comparison. But when the task at hand is a three-game series in Starkville, there really isn't any other way to do this. Uh the names to know are Jack Little, Austin Weiermiller, and Carson Rudd. Wire Miller and Rudd, plus that four-starter uh Alex Williams, if he gets uh if he gets used in in relief. So the bullpen is They've got their guy in, in Jack Little, Little, and they've got a couple of guys around him, but it's not as deep as Mississippi State's bullpen is. So if you can avoid these starters going deep into games and force them to go to two or three bullpen arms per game, there is opportunity for, for run generation here.
0: Yeah. Little's numbers are really good.
1: He's um, awesome.
0: Yeah, he's been out there, let's see, 24 relief appearances. Um and a whip of 1.08. And so, Ooh. yeah, you know, you look at 38 innings pitched and 50 strikeouts in those 38 innings, only 11 walks. So strike thrower, swing and miss, is not getting hit. 12 saves for him this year, so he's been their guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Opponents batting 221 against him. And, you know, again, you, know, you consider opponents, it's a little bit different. It is. I mean, it's competitive, no doubt. Uh, in the Pac 12, it's competitive. Oregon State defending national champs, UCLA, that whole deal. But I still think it's a little different than what you face, you know, the gauntlet of the SEC. But it's still, it's, it, and you know, the thing about it, you look at their starters, you mention them Beck and Miller and Matheson. Is that how you pronounce it, Brett? You pronounce that Matheson, I guess?
1: Matheson, yeah, I looked up the uh okay. the pronunciation guide in Stanford's game notes this morning. It's it's Matheson.
0: Okay, and so all three of those guys are um, opponents batting two seventy two, two thirty two, and two twenty four, respectively. Ooh. Yeah, so they they've been really good. And what I think is, in general, this stuff, this postseason stuff. It comes down to who has the most dominant outings from their starting pitchers, and yes, you know, Small is a guy that has been t- dominant against everybody pretty much that he's faced. Uh, they've got guys who've been pretty dominant against everybody they faced, um, which you know, and that's it. I mean, it's just a matter of you know which one of these teams can get out there and put the bat on the ball against the starting pitcher because everybody in these super regionals every team has a one and a two who can run out there and shut people down if they're having a good night on that note are we going to see JT Gann at all
1: it's it's a heck of a question um i i don't know how to handle this because there's a lot of off record and rumor mm. stuff floating around okay. um uh, let, give, give me a second to figure out. Yeah, sure. Okay, put it this way. I think, I think Mississippi State would like to get through this super regional without pitching JT again. Yeah. I think they would like to do that. Right. Now, there, there are two questions there. One, are you better than Stanford to the point that you can do that? And two, will JT again allow you to do that? Right. Like mm-hmm. JT, JT's about that life. Like he will go. Right. He will go. If, if you even give him the slightest window of opportunity to go, he will go. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in a perfect world, they would go Ethan small, Peyton Plumley try to wrap this thing in two, mm-hmm. uh, use all of their bullpen arms in those two games and, and get through them as cleanly and as well as possible and go to Omaha that way without using JT again. I, I think that, I think that is the most optimal outcome. Yeah. Whether the weekend and the weather and JT's recovery schedule and everything else goes according to that plan is all to be determined for, for all we know, JT wakes up feeling great on Saturday and Mm -hmm. he pitches on Sunday and and everything is fine. Uh, Also, for all we know, he's still a little tight when he wakes up on Sunday morning and they try to push him back to Monday and then they they hope that they don't have to potentially throw him on Monday. I think a lot of it goes down to how JT recovers and how the weekend goes. Um, Not only relative to... Uh, the three games and how they're ended up scheduled based on the, the weather and the TV times and everything else, but also just based on if they have to have uh, a third game. So the, the best way I can put it is I don't know, but I I do think there is motivation to attempt to get through this super regional without JT Gann. but this is also do or die time. And and JT knows that. So it's, Hmm. but I I think this is the most complicated that a JT Gann situation has been this year, not only postseason wise, Uh, But just because of the nature of what he's what he's dealing with at this point in time, it's the most complicated. When you go back to like the Tennessee weekend, for example, you could deal with that. You're still several weeks from postseason ball. Just stop him at an inning. Everything's going to be fine. Even in the regional, stop him at at three. Everything's Mm going to be fine. In this situation, it's it's a little more nuanced than that.
0: Yeah. Well, and. You know, even from a fan's perspective, as bad as you want, <clears throat> excuse me, as bad as you want, one hundred percent JT on the mound. Uh, you you also understand that he's your ace next year. Yes. and I, and you got a chance to have a really and, good and team. And his arm
1: year. is worth millions of dollars
0: already. That's it. He he's. You look at what he's already done for you as a guy who came to came to you after being taken in the first round. So. I really do believe that from a fan base perspective, everybody kind of wants what's best for JT again, honestly, you know, and if he's not ready, a little sore, I think people are like, Hey, that's fine. We understand he's got to sit. You can go win a super starting small and plumly. You can do it. So oh,
1: I, I think you definitely can. Um, so that's, that's, that's something that's going to be monitored all the way through. Like Lamona said in his Wednesday media deal that uh he he just didn't know if JT would pitch this weekend and I imagine we'll ask him again Friday afternoon when the NCAA press conference happens and then we'll probably ask him post game every every game until he gives us a solid answer on on JT and I don't think there's gamesmanship there I just I just genuinely think he doesn't he doesn't know it's just the nature of what JT's dealing with right now and the schedule of the weekend, given the the weather that's coming in, I, I genuinely think he doesn't know. Right.
0: You know, um, anything else on Stanford as we go back to them before we flip over to the draft?
1: Not that, not that I can think of. No, okay. I think I think our people know everything they need to know about about Stanford, and obviously they know Mississippi State pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think we're I think we're good to go. So to quickly recap the draft uh i'm sure i'm sure a lot of you have seen the picks come in and you might not remember every bulldog that was taken in every every spot so i'm going to go through every current player that was taken i'm going to go through the four signees that were taken then i'll i'll hand it over to to you for your thoughts matt okay uh go through this as quickly as possible ethan small was taken in the first round 28th overall to the brewers jake mangum in the fourth round to the Mets. Colby White in the 6th round to the Rays. He has already confirmed that he plans on signing with the Tampa Bay Rays, so our time with Night Night Colby White is limited. Tristan Barlow in the 16th round to the Rockies. Dustin Skelton in the 18th round to the Marlins. Jared Liebelt in the 20th round to the Diamondbacks. Keegan James in the 25th round to the Rockies. Marshall Gilbert in the 29th round to the Pirates. Peyton Plumley in the 31st round to the Astros. Cole Gordon in the 32nd round to the Mets. Tanner Allen in the 34th round to the Rockies. You will notice Elijah McNamee's name is not on that list. We'll probably screen about that later. And of the four signees, catcher Ethan Hearn out of Mobile Christian in Alabama. He goes sixth round to the Cubs. Pitcher Jared Johnson out of Smithville. Fourteenth round to the Braves. Outfielder Andre Tarver out of Ringgold, Georgia. 15th round to the Padres and outfielder Jake Randa, Northwest Florida State Community College, 13th round to the Nationals. On the signees, Jared Johnson and Ethan Hearn have already been extensively reported on that they're going to sign. Last that I've seen and heard as we're recording this on Thursday morning, such word doesn't exist for the two outfielders, Andre Tarver and Jake Randa. But losing both, which is a possibility, is far from a disaster for this recruiting class so it's it's possible that you lose all four of the signees that i i just ran over you're definitely going to lose two probably going to lose three maybe four but it's it's far from unraveling the the recruiting class like lsu was kind of sweating out during the during the draft so to prevent myself from going on a 30 minute soliloquy with these draft picks what do you think matt
0: yeah um one is you look at the signees um which that would be any surprises and stuff in there. It looks to me like again, as it stands right now until everything gets finalized that there aren't just a whole ton of surprises in there. Um for the coaching staff. You know, they kind of know mm-hmm. what what they're doing in that regard. Um the other thing that stands out to me is just the the sheer number of drafted players off this team. What kind is it? Of
1: program record.
0: Yeah, is it 11? Is that what it is? 11. And, I mean, that's pretty – that's significant. You're talking about that many guys off your team. It, it tells you a little bit about, yeah, talent, but also development and all that kind of stuff, because there are a lot of places that had higher-ranked recruiting classes and, and preseason had more prospects, but here they are getting drafted at state. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty significant deal. And the other thing is, as a Braves fan – up there in the National League East, am I going to have to like someday root against Jake Mangum and Cole Gordon, or am I going to root for them regardless of – see, I'm going to have to deal with all that if they both, yeah, if they both get up there. And I mean, <laughs> how about Small going from low-round draft pick to first-rounder, Mangum going from 30th-something, comes back for a senior year, goes in the fourth round?
1: they they're big jumps. Um I think I think signability
0: uh-huh. plays
1: into that more than most other uh environmental factors or influences is the word I was I was looking for. I think yeah. signability plays into that uh but those those late draft picks those are the ones you you take where an MLB franchise they they take those guys and say we're probably not going to get you, but let's let's keep you to the side just in case we have a big deal come through or we draft a whole bunch of college seniors and we lowball all of them to the point that we have a lot of money left over and we can throw it all at you mm-hmm. if if we want to. I think that was more of the deal with their uh, with Ethan Small and Jake Mangum being drafted and uh, Mangum was in like the 31st and Small was in like the 26th or Something like that I, I think that had more to do with their previous draft uh status than uh, talent or year over year or anything anything else so now that now that those uh factors aren't aren't present, they got drafted where their where their true talent level mm. suggests and it's it's big for for both of those guys um I am interested in. Both Colby, not Colby White, and both Tristan Barlow and Dustin Skelton Mm -hmm. uh, in that regard, uh, because Barlow is a redshirt junior and Dustin Skelton is a junior. Um, So they fall into that range where Barlow with the Rockies and Skelton with the Marlins, maybe a couple of things fall through for them earlier in the draft. They have a whole bunch of money in their pocket and they throw it at those guys and, and tempt them to to get out of school and start their their professional careers. Those are two that I'm, I'm watching. Uh, but for the most part, those are, those are the only ones. I mean, Keegan James is a red shirt junior. Yeah. Uh, he was drafted 25th round by the Rockies. You could have the same, same fear there as you could with, uh, Tanner Allen in the 34th round by, by the Rockies. Um, Mm. but those are, those are kind of, I guess things to maybe passively monitor going forward. I don't anticipate any issues, particularly with Allen, uh, which is the biggest one out of out of that group, right? Mm. Uh, given what his bat is, um, but yeah the the draft the draft was what I anticipated it would be in both small and Mangum going big within just a sheer number of draft picks. It's it's indicative of the recruiting level. It's indicative of the development level with guys like Marshall Gilbert and Dustin Skelton and and Cole Gordon. Um, it's, it's impressive for, for Mississippi state. And I'm sure it's going to be on a few recruiting graphics in in the
0: near future. Yeah. Well, um, why didn't Elijah McNamee get drafted? I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't understand it. I never will understand it. So, uh, Elijah, this was supposed to be a big year for him because he gets hot at the end of last season and he's absolutely murdering the baseball through the postseason. He's hot for the final month of the regular season. He walks off that game in Tallahassee. He never cools off until the season is over. And he was supposed to ride that momentum into this season and have a great year and be a guy that's on the radar, gets drafted and then he had that foot injury, and to a certain extent, that did derail things. But, I mean, Elijah McNamee, through the LSU weekend, through March 30th, had a 350 batting average. Mm-hmm. He was probably slugging over 500. I don't have that number in front of me, but he was slugging it pretty well at that point in time. And, and even through Tennessee, through the first weekend of April, uh, heck, let's keep going, through Alabama. Yeah. Uh, even, even count the Arkansas weekend, recognizing that it was awful through Arkansas. He's hitting three thirty eight. like when healthy, he's hit the crap out of the baseball this year. Mm-hmm. And, and he dealt with that foot thing for all of April and all of may, and then took two weeks off and had surgery to, to get it right. And, and then he comes up with a big hit as big hit Mac is one to do in that central Michigan game of the regional. It, he has proven time and again. That when he's healthy, he hits. That's what he does. When he's healthy, he hits. And I don't understand how Major League franchises in all of these 1,200-plus picks or whatever they have. I don't understand how one of them hasn't done the very basic level of research mm-hmm. and, and just general scouting to see that when Elijah McNamee is healthy, he hits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't understand that.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you know, and uh, teams doing stuff like drafting football players, you know. Um, that's <laughs> the Felipe Franks. Yeah. It's just weird. It, it really is. The whole thing is just, I don't know, it's just weird. So I think, you know, I don't know. I I know how I would be is, is if I were in McNamee's shoes As it would be like it would probably set me on fire. You know, it probably would be the ultimate motivator. Um, What you hope is that something like that doesn't happen, and that it really you have dejection kind of set in. And 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 if it happened, you would kind of understand, but you'd hope it doesn't happen. But I think most competitors, what it do, is just make you mad. Probably make you play better. Um, And for him, you know, because of where he is, you think he can probably get himself a chance somewhere if he wants to keep playing. Yeah. Um You know, and I would imagine that word would get around, especially if he goes and makes some noise in the Super and in Omaha. I would imagine that there'd be some people in baseball that th- that will realize they made a mistake and maybe give him a shot.
1: Well, I mean, Josh Lovelady signed an undrafted deal at the end of uh, last season.
0: I yeah. think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right.
1: So, um, so that that option is out there for for guys like you can get in a minor league organization as an undrafted guy and start out in rookie ball. And if rookie ball goes well, go to a fall league and then if fall league goes well, maybe start
0: mm-hmm.
1: in rookie league again or in low a or, or something. It's a it's a brutally difficult path to play professional baseball for multiple years, but it is possible and i'm i'm assuming that if mcdemy is truly healthy and he hits as he always has when he is truly healthy yeah that path can work for him if he hits in the super he hits in omaha he gets a undrafted deal he goes to a rookie league for maybe 6 weeks or so hits there then goes to a fall league invite hits there that he can work his way into someone's organizational depth and and see where his career Progresses from there so uh, professional baseball isn't out of the question for Elijah McNamee even though he wasn't drafted it's just a lot more difficult than it should be yeah for for a player of his caliber and it it's it's frustrating that and you know like the Felipe Franks pick is is getting a lot of pub and I mean it it, as it should when when Felipe Franks gets drafted but Elijah McNamee doesn't And, and for the most part like I'm cool with having fun and screwing around with some of those draft picks in the 30s and 40s. Because if we're being honest, most of the draft picks there aren't of, of serious consequence. Yeah. Um, like like I mentioned earlier with Tanner Allen and some of those other guys, a lot of those draft picks are contingency plans. If, if we're being realistic, a lot of those draft picks in the maybe 35th round and beyond are contingency plans. And you can just kind of do a favor and, and have some fun with it. I'm fine with that but in rare situations like this where it's at the expense of a actual legitimate baseball player, it's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. That shouldn't happen.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. So maybe he'll get a a chance somewhere, you know, we'll have to kind of wait and, and see. So um, there's your draft. Like you said, not a, not a ton of surprises. Um, We're going to take a break right here for sponsors our folks at Mississippi Land Bank and at Jubilations. Hear from them, and we'll be right back.
2: Every farmer understands their farm can't thrive without some good partners, like sun, soil, and rain. And farmers in North Mississippi also rely on another important partner, Mississippi Land Bank, because land and farm financing are Mississippi Land Bank's primary focus. We've grown alongside these farmers' crops for more than 100 years. We understand what a farmer needs, and we know the lay of the land in North Mississippi and that's where I stand.
0: All right, Brett, what do we have
1: next? I think it's time to, to revisit our predictions. Let's do but, it. Uh, for those that, that remember, we got a Twitter question that asked us to make some predictions on the regionals and our Omaha 8. Uh, if you're down for it, Matt, would you like to make more Super regional predictions
0: now that we actually know the matchup? Well, sure. I'm down for it. It's just, you know, I gotta think about the listeners first. And if if my picks or ours were horrible in the regional, I'm not sure why they would want us to pick the super. But we'll do it. Well, fun. I have
1: good news for you. I have good news How'd for you. They're do? not bad. <clears throat> They're not bad. So let's uh let's relive those uh those regional predictions. So let's let's go ahead and give both of us our credit. Where it's due, we both had UCLA, Vandy, Arkansas, Mississippi State, ECU, Texas Tech, Stanford, and Ole Miss winning their respective regionals. And all of that happened. So there's, there's the eight that we agreed on and we both got right. Okay. There were a few that we agreed on and we both got wrong. Uh, in Athens, you had FAU. I had Georgia. We both missed. It was Florida State. In Louisville, we both had Indiana. We both missed. In Baton Rouge... I had Southern Miss. You had Arizona State. The hosting Tigers got out of there. In Morgantown, we were both wrong. You had Texas A&M. I took West Virginia. It was Duke that got out of there. And in Corvallis, we both missed. Oregon State went two and out. Michigan got out of there. So through that, we are both eight and five. Mm -hmm. It's time to break this tie. In Atlanta, you had Auburn and nailed it. I had Georgia Tech. In Oklahoma City, I had Oklahoma state and got it. You had Nebraska. So Mm -hmm. it all comes down to chapel Hill Uh where you took a flyer on Tennessee and almost connected, (laughs) but I took North Carolina, the tar heels advance your final. (laughs) I went ten and six, you went nine and seven. Do you feel better about our predictions now? Yeah,
0: I feel pretty good about it. Um, Uh, Let's see. Here's, I guess the one that I should feel the worst about is FAU. Um, (laughs) Because they finished third in that regional, basically. Um, You know, I don't feel too bad about LSU or Louisville. Duke. Duke, a big surprise. I I didn't, honestly. Yeah, Duke
1: really got me, man. I didn't see that one coming.
0: Me neither. Nor Michigan. You know, regardless of any other team in Corvallis, you just don't see Oregon State going two and barbecue but they did so uh yeah not yeah. bad congrats to you on the the win now let's do super regionals
1: well it's it's hard to take too much credit for that since i went as as chalk as i did you, you <laughs> took uh you took some flyers and 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 almost connected on on a good bit of them uh so i still have our original omaha eight that we we made um Back when back when the tournament started, and I'll I'll keep those just to give ourselves some brownie points if we hit okay on that. But let's go ahead and make uh, super regional predictions: UCLA and Michigan in LA. What you think? I'm gonna go UCLA.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with yeah, the pretty, uh, number one team. Pretty, pretty, pretty
1: at easy, home. I am as well. I, okay. I'm assuming we're both gonna agree on Nashville, Vandy, and Duke. Uh, yeah, I'm going Vandy.
0: That's what I figured. These
1: these next two get pretty pretty interesting. In Lubbock, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. But I'll go Texas Tech. Just cause I Texas think Texas
1: Tech isn't your original Omaha mm-hmm. 8, so you're you're bound there. Yeah. And I also have Oklahoma State in my original Omaha 8. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with the Cowboys there. Okay. In Louisville. Louisville and East Carolina. What you got? I'm gonna go ECU. ECU is also in my original Omaha eight, so I'll uh, I'll stick with that as well. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Ole Miss.
0: Oh gosh, now I can't remember. Really? Well, what I'm saying is now I can't remember what I said before on the, but the the, (sighs) you had Arkansas in your original eight. See, I did, but I don't. You know, I think since then what I'm doing is I'm looking at it going, Ole Miss has absolutely had Arkansas's number. They've beaten them three out of four games this year, twice in Fayetteville, once in Hoover. It was never in Oxford. And um, that that little stat of, get this, Brett, one team has won a series in Fayetteville over the last three years. Only one team is, is one of that right. That's Ole Miss, and they've done it twice. Wow. Yeah. So because of that dominance, I'm gonna say Ole Miss beats Arkansas.
1: You you are not alone. My my man Tom Ebel at WCBI is is all about Ole Miss winning this regional. He's got a he's got a sneaking feeling there. Uh-huh. I'm I'm still gonna ride with Arkansas because okay. they're they're in my original late, and, and frankly, I think they're the better team. Okay. Um, but. Uh, I, I I'm I, I understand it more. Put it put it that way. Uh, sure. I'm assuming we both have state winning the Starkville Super Regional.
0: Yeah, I do, and I I really am not picking that as a uh, as just a homer pick. Just it's you know I look at the two teams, state at home. If something screwy with the weather happens and rains the whole thing out, the committee is going to send state anyway, being the yep. higher seed. But if you know if they do play it, I I think state's got more pitching. I think they're better offensively. I just think State should win this thing.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, I've had a lot of people ask about that. Uh, the, the protocol there is, well, we've got two more Super Regionals to pick. We'll, we'll do that very quickly. But the protocol there is if, if there are no games played, the higher seed goes to Omaha, that's Mississippi State. If there is one game played, the winner of that one game Goes to Omaha. If there are two games played and you need a game three, then the higher seed goes to Omaha. That would be Mississippi State. So put it this way either win the super regional the way it's supposed to be won by winning two of three, or state just wins game one. Yeah. And if weather impacts it, they're going no matter what. Mm -hmm. So win game one. Yeah. And if you can't win the super regional the way it's supposed to be won, if you win game 1 you're you're guaranteed of of going to omaha if if weather really interrupts this thing so uh good on you state fans for being in that situation uh final 2 super regionals to predict in Baton Rouge LSU and Florida State
0: yeah this is a tough one because Florida State was so dominant um, they were in Athens and uh Maybe there's just a little bit of magic going on with their coaches last year, and I just I, LSU sitting there at forty wins and twenty four losses. I, I, but I just am not convinced that they have the pitching that is required to do the Omaha thing this year. I felt that way all year, so I got to stick with it, and I'll go Florida State.
1: I, I am too. This is this
0: is one where
1: I'm I'm picking with my heart more than my brain. Um, yeah, I really won eleven in Omaha to to end his career i I just really i really want 11 in omaha if if nothing else for my man teddy cahill at baseball america who uh who picked florida state to win the national championship this year so i'd uh at least get him to omaha and i and i feel like that'd be that'd be good for teddy so i'm picking with my heart more than my brain here but i'm doing the exact opposite in chapel hill with north carolina and and auburn I'm gonna be rooting for Auburn for Rod Bramlett purposes. Yeah. Um. Would, would love nothing more than for this team to honor his memory by going to Omaha. Uh. But I I just think UNC is is gonna win this this super regional. So I'm I'm rooting for Auburn, but I, I think UNC is gonna win it. What are you thinking in Chapel Hill?
0: I think it'll be Auburn. Yeah. I think this would be Butch Thompson's um kind of shining weekend. I think he'll pull all the. You know, he'll pull it all together. They have a little magic going at Auburn uh, right now. And I know that, you know, the the whole regional at Georgia Tech thing, the The truth about it is that was a reach by the committee anyway. Okay, they, they overplaced Georgia Tech, I believe. I don't know what the purpose was, but they, they did it, and then it, it kind of bore itself out that way. But still, I'm going to go with Auburn up there.
1: That would be that would be a heck of a story. It'd be Auburn's first Omaha appearance since 1997. Whew. Uh, their fifth in in program history. Uh, so that's what that's what we got. We agree on all but two. I have Oklahoma State, you have Texas Tech in Lubbock, and I have North Carolina, and you have Auburn in in Chapel Hill. So we'll we'll revisit all of this in, in our next. Dog pile. Uh, our next like full on dog pile podcast. We're gonna go daily during the, the super regional as as we did during the, during the regional. Uh, so when we when we convene to put a bow on either the season if if they are to lose the super regional or to put a bow on the super regional as as they get ready to to go to Omaha. When we when we reconvene for a traditional dog pile is when we'll go over those uh go over our, our predictions and see just how bamboozled we were by the, <laughs> by the NCAA baseball tournament. Uh, now, as we do have a little bit with Colby White coming up, um, got a big media deal that was, I, I've totally lost track of days. That was Wednesday. We got a bunch of players and Coach Lamonis on on Wednesday and got a few minutes with of Colby White, he he talked for like six or seven minutes, but I chopped up a a few minutes to get the highlights, um, and and that's what we've got to to end the show. You'll hear from from Night Night Colby White, and of course, I asked about the whole Night Night Colby White deal. Uh, but do you do you have anything else to hit on before we hear from that dude who's throwing gas and is about to throw gas for the Tampa Bay Rays?
0: Well, all I'll say is that uh, Colby White, who you're about to hear from. It, one of 11 players drafted for Mississippi State, which is the third most of any team program in the country. Vandy had 13 players drafted. Vanderbilt, who they don't have scholarship limits the way the rest of college baseball does. They have a tremendous advantage in that way. UCLA, number two in college baseball with 12 players drafted. And Mississippi State, number three in all of college baseball with 11 Players drafted. And oh, by the way, right behind them, UC Santa Barbara and Indiana each had 10 drafted. And then the next most, North Carolina, TCU, and Stanford tied with nine draft picks each. So you got Indiana, have, you say? Indiana, yes. So it's an
1: interesting development, isn't
0: it? Isn't it? Um, you know, listen.
1: <clears throat> funny how that works out.
0: If you don't think Chris Lomonas can recruit Indiana, had the fourth most baseball players drafted of anybody in the country, Indiana, okay? And 11 drafted this year at Mississippi State, third most. Colby White, part of that. I just thought – and, and the other number, this is coming from Aaron Fitt on Twitter, 56% of all players drafted were Division I college baseball players. Um, so statistically, mathematically – your chances of being drafted are better if you go play Division 1 college baseball. Period.
1: Over JUCO or going straight from from high school plus D2 or D3, yeah, the the numbers the numbers bear it out and I think I think pro organizations are starting to come around to that a little bit, especially yeah. at the top end of Division 1 baseball, I think they're starting to to make peace with the fact that there are a lot of colleges out there that can develop 18 19 and 20 year olds better than they can um particularly hitters Hmm. uh you you never know with with pitchers and injuries and arm care and all that stuff you really got to take it on a case by case basis not only with the player but with the school and how they treat that that arm but with with hitters if you get a a top level uh program and a top talent top level talent kind of guy uh the, the D1 route is is incredibly enticing. And I think the, the poster boy for that is Alex Bregman.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Hey, and you know what? Here's another note uh real quick. You mentioned Bregman. I couldn't help but think about him while Jake Mangum was going through his uh slump, which he's now out of. But I remember Breg's, Bregman's last year at LSU. It was not the end of the year. It was the beginning of the year. But at the beginning of the year, he went for a solid month and a half and could not find a base hit to save his life. Yeah. Um, And he's the best player in the country. You know, He's a World Series champion now. And that kind of stuff happens. I couldn't help but think about that. Anyway, uh, there was just a few nuggets for you on that. And now uh, we can, Brett, throw it over to your talk with uh, Colby White. Night-night,
1: Colby White, sir. (laughs) Sorry,
0: night-night. All right, here's Thank Colby.
1: <laughs> very
0: beginning,
2: I was kind of uh, overwhelmed a little bit, large capacity, just intense games. And then I started settling in uh, throughout the year and I actually been able to calm down on the mound and pitch and have fun and uh, learn a tremendous amount just from the year of just being here. And uh, It's been awesome The pitch with Cole and Lee Belt and Barlow and all those guys, Brandon Smith. It's just it's, and especially even being around him, it's been it's been awesome. How different is this level compared to what you saw in junior college? Uh, well, hitters are a whole lot smarter. Uh, so, like, in junior college, you can throw the same pitch in the same spot. I mean, here you, you can't do that. In junior college, you could. So, uh, stuff like that, you gotta you always got to throw in the guys, not either just sit away, just simple stuff like that. But you just can't make mistakes, basically. I guess everybody knows that.
1: How, how long does an adjustment process like that take?
2: Uh, well, the fall I, I really didn't have a very good fall, and then uh, beginning of the semester, uh, spring semester here, we was inter squad and stuff. I kind of started making an the adjustment then and just getting better command and getting better feel for things and worked on the change up a lot. So I say a couple months is, is how long it's you know. What was that feeling
1: like? You know, when you finally learned that you got drafted yes. yesterday?
2: Right. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I was actually sitting in the training room and uh, didn't have my phone on me. Right. And Spencer said, "Oh, well, you just got drafted." and I said I thought he was joking and then he showed me his phone I was like I just got drafted and then my advisor calls me and then then the Rays called me it was just it was unbelievable I, I was in shock for about 15 minutes and then cried for about five or ten. So. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, when you made the call to your parents and stuff, what, what did they say? They were just, my mom was crying. Uh, my dad was happy. It, it was just, it was an awesome, awesome day. How much do you think playing at Mississippi State helped you get drafted where you were, uh, just even you know, as highly as you were? Uh, it, it, I mean, fully. Uh, when you look at who we're playing against and who we're playing with, there's guys up here watching Ethan and Jake and all them. I think that had a big big piece in that but also going against the best hitters in college baseball uh, and, and development part of it I feel like I'm a way better uh, strike thrower and uh, I actually
1: have a better feel for secondary pitch since I've been here and that's helped me tremendously. You mentioned you started throwing a lot harder once you got here how, how do you explain that what, what caused uh, that? Coach Deiter's, uh
2: he's got a real good strength conditioning program uh, I got a whole lot stronger I was squatting around 550 uh, this fall. And I just kept getting stronger, gaining more weight. I went from weighing like 188 pounds and now I'm 210. So I've gotten a whole lot stronger and, and kept flexibility. And I think that's the big thing about it too, and staying healthy with Coach Fox. Again, so. And who gets to claim night-night Colby White? Who, <laughs> who came up with that? When did that start? Kobe White. Uh, so uh, we were in the bullpen. Uh, we were in the dugout and people were just talking. And then I, I come in the game to pitch and I walk off and I hear Riley, I think it was Riley and Spencer uh went to saying that. I really don't I know I remember hearing Riley. Riley said that Nine nine Kobe White. <laughs> yes, sir.
1: How long ago was that? Was that in like February, March?
2: Uh it was been pretty good ways back. I'd say uh i say probably late March. Okay. Like that.
0: All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Brett's conversation with Colby White. Great job as always, Brett. And uh man, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Everybody uh, be weather aware, and if you're listening, follow Brett on Twitter, Brett underscore Hudson. He'll be there for all of it uh, on location. And Brett, you know, there's one thing we can't control, and it's the weather. We just will do the best we can.
1: Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even bother giving the the dates and times for for these super regional games because there's just no way no. that all three of them start and finish when when they should Uh, but you're you're right the best way to get all the content is to follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson throw us a subscribe here on Dogpile while you're listening we're gonna go daily during the uh, during the Super Regional that starts on Friday when both teams have open practices and press conferences at duty Noble Field and then in theory the the game starts Saturday we'll go daily uh, best we can through the the Starkville Super Regional, and I'll, I'll write and do some video stuff too, so the best way to get all of it is to follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson and go like the, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt, because I'll go live from, from that page a couple times over the course of
0: the weekend as well. Very cool. Alright, thanks for tuning in to Dog Pile, presented by Mississippi Land Bank and Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point, and we'll see y'all next time. See ya.